As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's. When you need snacks for game time, you need Trader Joe's. You'll score with interesting munchies like gochujang almonds and cornbread crisps and snacks like mango sticky rice spring rolls. All at prices that make you the winner. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, a little bit later, we're going to run your interview with the legendary Jim Ross, Oklahoma Sooner super fan Jim Ross. But first, let's get to the events of this past weekend. And I would like for you to acknowledge two things where I was right and you were wrong. Butch Jones, not going to make it to 2018 as Tennessee's coach. And Bryce Love, legit Heisman candidate. Yeah. I think you're right on both of those. I will I will there you uh, go. fall on the sword on that. No, look, I did have Bryce Love in my Heisman uh, top five this week, as I should have. He's, I think he's number three for me. Is he number three for you? He's number two, uh, number one being Saquon Barkley. Really? So you have him ahead of Baker Mayfield? I do, and maybe that's – maybe Baker suffers a little bit there for being on a bye week. But, I mean, you know, look, Saquon Barkley is still – the guy who everybody points to as this um, kind of transcendent talent. I just saw, you know, they're playing Northwestern this week, and I just saw Pat Fitzgerald said at his press conference that he may be the best player he's ever seen on tape, which is saying something. But, you know, I went and wrote the story on Bryce Love and the ridiculous stats he was putting up last week, and he went and he one-upped himself 301 yards against Arizona State over a thousand yards, five games into the season. Not many guys have done that. And the, but the one that I just keep coming back to that's just insane: eleven point one yards per carry. And this is not after one game or two games. Five games. Now you're reaching a pretty significant portion of the season. And you look at some of the other big name running backs: Royce Freeman, five point seven five yards a carry. Uh, let's see, J.K. Dobbins, seven point six four. Saquon Barkley is at six point six seven. So we're not talking about a little bit more than these guys. Bryce Love, 11.1 yards per carry. That's insane. Yeah, I had a stat in my notes column on SI.com this week. That'll be out later today. 
Only one team in all of FBS football has more 20-yard runs than Bryce Love's 18, Notre Dame, which has one more. And last year, for perspective's sake, Christian McCaffrey only had 14 in the whole season. And even if you go back to his record-centered huge year in 2015, he only he only had one more than Bryce Love had in the five games. And it took him 14 games to do that. So, you know, look – the question is going to be, as we get further in, he's going to get a much bigger test against Utah. These defenses he's faced, it's, it's interesting to note that he's played three Pac-12 defenses, the best of which is USC. I think they're ranked like 75th. The other two, ASU is, is almost dead last, and UCLA, which is right there with them. So it's San Diego State, which is a top 25 defense, but uh, – you know, if he keeps this up, it's going to get very interesting. I think what's certainly not helping him publicity-wise is that unlike Saquon Barkley, he didn't have much of a name coming into the year. People just didn't know much about him. And the other thing is Stanford lost a couple of games right out of the gate, and then they're on so late at night that no one's watching Stanford. Three of the first four games were 10, 15, 10 p.m. or later on the East Coast. Kickoffs. Last, kickoffs. Last week's game was on Pac-12 Network, so nobody saw that. And then actually your network, FS1, has them playing the next two weeks at 10.15 Eastern and 11 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah, a significant portion of the country is just not going to see this guy unless they make it a point to stay up late. I would recommend it. The guy is good for a 50. He's had at least one 50-yard run, seven straight games. Pretty much every time he touches the ball, he's a threat to go the distance. But like you said, you know, it's all, you know, look, offensive line has a lot to do with this for any good running back. So the last time somebody had a thousand yards in five games was Leonard Fournette two years ago. Mm-hmm. He was off to, he was in much the position Saquon Barkley is now. He it seemed like he was going to run away with the Heisman. And then they played that game against Alabama in early November where they shut him down completely. And that was that. And, you know, not putting the Utah 2017 defense on Alabama level yet. And it's but not it's even close. Not close, but it's, it's certainly possible close. they could do. You know, they could shut him down in a way that the defenses so far have not. Yeah, I think his his margin for error is pretty slim. I think he can get go to New York. I just think as 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 outstanding as Stanford has been with Jim Harbaugh and then now David Shaw, I just feel like the it's hard for somebody to win the Heisman from there. I mean, Andrew Luck was fantastic. I think you and I both voted Christian McCaffrey first on our ballots in two years ago. Uh, Toby Ger- Gerhardt made a run, but those guys didn't win. And they've so actually now, had three guys who were runner-up since this this run began: Gerhardt, Luck, and uh, McCaffrey. And who did McCaff- those guys? Who did those guys each lose to? Well, the Gerhardt one was. I wouldn't have voted for Gerhardt. I would have voted for Indomitian Sue, but he lost to Mark Ingram. Luck yeah, lost a, to RG. Luck was a runner-up twice, though. So Cam Newton and then RG three. McCaffrey was runner-up to Derrick Henry. I think we both agree. Yeah, he should have won that one. In this case, in this case, now look, we'll see what happens with Baker Mayfield. I still think you know he has a puncher's chance. You know because they're going to be a, they're on a legit playoff contender. But say it's Saquon Barkley's Heisman to lose. Now there's a lot of football left. All it takes is like a two fumble game or somebody to hold him under a hundred yards from scrimmage. Or just him not to do anything in a loss or something like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's gonna it's gonna get closer closer again. Generally speaking, being the September Heisman winner, which Saquon Barkley, congratulations, you won the September Heisman, is like the kiss of death. Now, it, it wasn't the kiss of death last year. Nope, Lamar Jackson uh, put that. You know, did not that did not happen to him. But 
I mean, some recent September highs winners would include Geno Smith, Fournette two years ago, guys that got off to ridiculous starts and then were never heard from again. You know, that happens every so often. But I think that in this era, it's going to be hard for somebody to win the Heisman that's not on a playoff contending team. Stanford is probably not going to be in playoff contention. So I think the only way for him to do it would be to, you know, break records, to, to approach like Barry Sanders' 1988 season or something like that. Otherwise, probably getting to New York is the is the uh, ceiling. Yeah, well, let's let's come back to your other uh, Bruce got this one wrong point. <laughs> Butch Jones, I got to admit, last year was kind of my breaking point on that one where, and granted, they had, you know, some key injuries on defense, but I thought last year was the year they would break through and at least win the SEC East. It obviously didn't happen. Look, I've said this before, and I'll repeat it. You know, he has made the program much better than when he took it over, but it's, it feels a little bit like quicksand with Butch Jones. Like, the more he protests or the more he kind of says at his press conferences, the deeper he seems to, to go to slide under, you know. And I thought for – and I can't say I, I got to see any of the game live because my game was going on at the same time as the Tennessee-Georgia game, but um, – you know, it's it's a tough sell for anybody to say you lose by 41 points at home to anybody, even Alabama. And it's a tough it's a tough sell that you're going to get any more time, especially after you've been there for a full recruiting cycle. And I think looking at the way the schedule sets up right now, short of short of knocking off Alabama and Tuscaloosa, which is such a ridiculously tall order when you get shut out at home by to Georgia, much less other stuff and barely beat UMass, I don't know how what else he could do for to win back a lot of the fan base because I think, uh, it's so no, far gone, and I think... It's over. Um, you don't return from something like that. And it seemed last week like he was... I mean, I know he's had some strange press conferences before, but the, the one where he told the local media that they were creating fake news, that was uh, bizarre, to say the least. You talk about bad running defenses. They are 122nd in the country in that department. And, you know, I just think they had their last season was definitely a window of opportunity there. Um, if they had won the SEC East, if they'd won 10 or 11 games last season, maybe he'd have a little bit of room to dig out of this. But, you know, I'll be honest. I half we, we at the All-American were fully planning our coverage for John Curry firing him on Sunday. That didn't happen. And John From what I've heard, John Curry doesn't didn't had no intentions of of doing that, and his support on Bush Jones was a lot different than I think people had kind of. Yeah, and in. he's you know he hasn't even really been heard from on this. But if he didn't happen by now, it's not going to happen. You know, on their bye week, I guess I'm just a little puzzled. I mean, I know Josh. Dobbs. What do you do? What do you do? Uh, so let me ask you this. You know, maybe that appeases the fan base for a couple of days. But what exactly does that solve? If you, you know, were they going to make Brady Hoke the interim? I mean, hey, they've got a Sugar Bowl champion coach right there on their roster, on their staff. Like, but seriously, what Bob do you? Shoot. I mean, no, you just told me that the defense is 127th or whatever it yeah. is. I mean, so I think from a practical purpose, the one thing it could do is if you're looking, going, well, we know Texas A&M would would like to to fire Kevin Sumlin, you know, if they don't keep winning. We know that Nebraska is a is a big job that could come open if you're Tennessee. Do you and you have a new AD? It's not like you're in Nebraska's case where you got to hire an AD. Do you say, okay, well, look, we're going to try to get ahead of the pack. The only reason why you do that 
is to get ahead of the pack, I think, is to is to woo Chip Kelly. Right. Because who else are you going to do that for? Well, beyond, though, the coaching carousel part of it, in the past, I always thought, yeah, what's the point of firing the guy? Like, like mid-season, you're, you know, that's the wrong thing to do for your current team. But I remember last year when LSU fired Les Miles, Joe Oliva kept saying the reason they were doing it so early is basically they thought that team, the 2016 team, needed new leadership to save their season, and it worked for the most part. Coach Ogeron took over. They got a lot better by the end of the year. They were really humming on offense, and it was right. just a matter of they just needed new direction. And I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't know well enough what's going on behind the scenes there to say that, but whether an interim coach would do any better. But it it does seem like this team is. I don't want to say he's lost the team. It's pretty early in the season to say that, but they often now Georgia's defense. I think we can both agree is unbelievable. Uh, they've been doing this every week, but their offense just looks completely dysfunctional, and that not just last week in general. All right, we're going to get back to the podcast in a second, but Bruce, first we want to welcome a new sponsor, and that is Mac Weldon. Stu, let me tell you something. I can speak from experience. Nothing puts you in a better mood than putting on some comfortable underwear, especially in my case, if I'm going to be out on the sidelines for like six hours in a hot day or whatever. You want to be you want to be comfortable when you're moving around out there. And I would think you would agree with me whether you're sitting on the couch or or walking the dog. It just puts you in a different in a different frame of mind. So you can go to their website, use promo code Audible. That's going to get you twenty percent off your order. And Bruce, I made my first order last week. It's more than just underwear. I bought a sweatshirt that I'm very excited about. They have t-shirts. They have all sorts of comfortable clothes, socks, shirts. But you know what? That underwear, the silver underwear, that's what Mack Weldon is known for. By the way, I know you're a big Curb fan. And you remember there was a plot line a few years ago about the no-fly zone? I do remember this episode. Well, Mack Weldon has that. They have... This uh, they have the underwear with the no fly. They have ones with a fly too, but the no fly underwear is the thing they are known for. They are also known for smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. And I do have to say that was one of the best online shopping experiences I've had. The silver underwear and shirts are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. But most of all, they're comfortable. So again, go to MacWeldon.com and get twenty percent off using promo code audible i know you're going to do it bruce yeah that's right i am still and i'm excited about the experience macweldon.com promo code audible i want to ask you about another coach who's under fire this week and he's a guy you know well is it hard by the way for you to kind of analyze objectively coach o given just how deep a relationship that is no i think i can be objective on it the part that i think is is interesting you know interesting is you know way more about the situation, and maybe it's you have too much information, but I think you know way more than a lot of times people commenting on it. And so when you comment from a distance, maybe you don't know, and maybe it just doesn't matter. It's just like, hey, do you win or do you lose? You know, in the case of this, the part that I'm like kind of looking at it, just observing it is, you know, we're five games into his time as a, as you know, this season, but I, I don't, and I, I've been around him more than most of the people commenting. He's not the same coach that he was at Ole Miss. I mean, I know this better than anybody. The part that I would say is, like, if you think that, then you're basically dismissing when he was the head coach, whether he was the acting or interim head coach at USC. I mean, I was in the Coliseum the night 
they beat Stanford when Stanford was top five. David Shaw is about as good a coach as there is in the country. And they didn't have hardly any depth, and they beat them. You know, I mean, they they whipped Louisville last last year with Lamar Jackson. I mean, these weren't, you know, fluky things. So I don't think you can completely dismiss them. Now, I've been very uh, puzzled as to the kind of exactly what you're talking about. So first of all, let's just acknowledge losing to Troy at home the other day in a game where they were basically whipped. No excuse for that. Darius Geis or no Darius Geis, you know. Hey, there's no, there was no excuse to get to get whipped, even if it's on the road and you have a young team. There's no excuse to get whipped by Mississippi State. This is a great example of the kind of hot take-ish stuff that, you know, kind of happens. After the Mississippi State game, people were talking about Dan Mullen like he's Newt Rockney. He's a good <laughs> coach, but the following two weeks, they've been outscored like 80 to 10. Well, which is not, you know, I remember talking about early in the earlier in the season – we were talking about, I think, before LSU lost Mississippi State, and you were gushing about LSU's defense because of the BYU game, and I was trying to warn yeah. you, BYU's offense stinks. And, it really and they does. are really, really bad. And You're so, right. yeah, you find out more as the weeks go on. But, yeah, I've been really puzzled as to why there's, a, at least in the media, a lot of people who still view Ed Ogeron as the guy who flamed out at Ole Miss. It's like, it's like USC and last year's LSU didn't even happen. And, by the way, last year he takes over a team – that was two and two and had no signs of life on offense. If they were able to punch in from the one yard line against Florida, that team would have gone would have lost one game the rest of the way, ten nothing to Alabama. As it is, they lost twice. But by the end of the season, they put up fifty four points on A and M and they stomped Louisville in the bowl game. So doesn't that count? I mean, I know this is his first full season as the permanent coach. But it's like they're off to this terrible start, and it's like last season never even happened. I, you know, I, look, Tom Herman, Jimbo Fisher, those were the guys they were coveting. So there's no secret that, that Ogeron was Joe Oliva's backup plan. And I would also just say there's a lot of, if anybody really deserves a lot of criticism there right now, it's Oliva, who I think has handled yeah. the last two years very poorly. But come on, give Coach O a chance. You know, this is definitely a rebuilding situation probably worse than we than most people realized i mean i've seen some tweets the effect of like a lot of people saying like well, the minute they promoted him you knew this was going to be a disaster and i guess i'm a little puzzled about that well also i think sometimes we get caught into the overreaction just in the you know twitter gives us this gives us this hot mic all the time and so you get you know one thing and you say it. there's a lot of coaches who started out really bad who would have been fired yeah what you know Kirby smart last what, season yeah, it's just like you see it, and it's like okay, this is gonna you know, it's gonna work out great, or you're gonna get um, Tate Forcier is gonna win the Heisman, yeah, you know, kind of stuff. It's it, go, it works both ways. So and is I, the idea out there maybe that people think he inherited like a national championship roster? I mean, it, this is the issue I had. Is and look, I never said he was going to you know win the. Uh, I think in my preseason pick, I had him probably like 13, and that's because I did think their defense would be better in part because Dave Aranda's there. You know, Arden Key is not, you know, has really not done anything. He's played some games, but, you know, we talked about this a little bit. They did not have – their offensive line is a mess. It was a mess going into the year, and they still had Danny Etling as a, as a quarterback. Yeah, that's the I thing. Mean, he hasn't had a time to, to, to bring in his own quarterback. Right, and if you're going to – look, remember, I, I don't know how much different it would have been if Darius Geis is 100%. Darius Geis didn't even play in the game the other day. But that was the one, the one positive they had on the offense going into the year was Darius Geis. Now, at the same time – 
I, I would think they're as good as uh, coaches Neil Brown is, and they won 10 games last year at Troy. LSU should not lose to Troy, even with the backup running back, even with Danny Utley, a quarterback. They were 20-and-a-half-point favorites. Yeah, and they shouldn't have looked like they did in the second half against Mississippi State. I get it. You know, you're starting, whatever, eight true freshmen. It's still those true freshmen are probably more talented than uh, most of the other players you're going to be able to get, at you know, even in the SEC. So we'll see how they respond. I mean— you know, if they go three and nine, that's going to that's a problem. Hear way more. Yeah, that is a problem. If they end up going six and six or seven and five. We'll see. I mean, it's not like the rest of the SEC isn't, you know, SEC West isn't a kind of a mess. I mean, Ole Miss looks pretty bad. Arkansas has, has looked shaky. Auburn right now is about the safest thing out of there. By the way, just of, last course, season, Alabama. you and I were... And everybody was jumping on the case of a guy in a very similar situation, Clay Helton, who people thought Pat Hayden could have done better than to promote their interim coach to full-time. Well, the other night, Friday night, uh, Clay Helton lost for the first time in over a year to Mike Leach in Washington State. Huge win for the Cougars. Crazy stat. I just keep trotting it out. First time Washington State had beaten a top-five team in the regular season, not a bowl game, in the regular season, since 1992. So I want to talk about both teams in, the, in both sides of the game, USC-Washington State. First of all, for Washington State, Mike Leach has got a defense, huh? Yeah, Mike Leach has a really good defensive coordinator in Alex Grinch, an old Chip Kelly guy who came from Mizzou. You know, he has one—the best defensive player on the field was like a two-star guy from Hawaii who's blossomed into a hell of a player, Hercules Mata Afa. He's one of the best defensive players in the country, you know, and I thought— you you know you see a mature team. I mean, the other thing I think that's noticeably different. When I spent time around Leach when at Wazoo when I, he first got there, they were horrible in the secondary and they were horrible uh, on the offensive line. They have th- their offensive line is so much better than what USC had. Now, granted, USC's banged up, but even if USC had all their guys, they're still not as good as what what Wazoo now has up front. And I think that was the key to it. And they run the ball pretty well. They have good running backs, and I don't think their running backs are quite as as good talent-wise as what USC has, but they have they have legit players, and mm-hmm. I think you see that. Yeah, I talked to Mike Leach. Uh, actually, it was Saturday night. The only coach in America probably that would return your call at 1030 at night while I was watching the late Pac-12 games. He said, look, we don't – he's like, I think we're very consistent in all three phases. We don't really have a glaring weakness. Now, they're 5-0. and I know they haven't actually played a road game yet, and they're going to play one this week at Oregon, so – We'll find out then. All right, Stu. I think it's time we get to our guest. It is, as you said, Oklahoma super fan, and also he's pretty much the godfather of pro wrestling for anybody who has been a fan of it in the last 25 years. Jim Ross. We're pleased to be joined by our guest. He is. Uh, he might have been the the did the longest audible guest spot. We actually broke it into two parts the last time with an epic story on Andre the Giant. Hopefully he has more of that. Without further ado, the great JR, Jim Ross, who has a big book that is getting released on Tuesday, Slobberknocker. Jim, thanks for joining us on The Audible. Oh, thank you, Bruce. Good to talk to you as always. Before we get into some of the wrestling stuff, a lot of our fans know that it's not uncommon to see you on the sideline at OU Games. You were very, very close to the program. What do you make of Lincoln Riley's fast start there? He's a prodigy, man. He's really, really smart. He has uh, 
great uh, he's had great preparation for this job, and uh, although it came very very early in his professional life, he's he's really way ahead of the curve. I think uh, it was a really you know you you, you get with the cliche oh it's a great hire it's a great hire. Well, he was Bob helped so this is Bob's deal, and I think that uh, when Bob left in June and Lincoln got the job, I think that was exactly what Bob wanted, and it was the best thing for the program. And to be honest with you, you know, I got a lot of my buddies here diehard. You know, they they live and die on every snap. But you know, he, this has been so seamless, nobody's even bitching about him. You go way back. You're a, you're a son of Oklahoma. I'm just curious, and I know you, you you remember the team when Bob got hired and brought Mike Leach in there. But for a lot of folks, you know, Lincoln Riley is an air raid guy. Now I know he's he's different from Mike Leach, and you know he they had two great running backs last year, and he fed them a lot. Was there any part of the inner circle of OU folks a little concerned? I know they trusted Bob, but to go, oh, we don't know. These guys throw it around a lot. This isn't what we want OU football to be on Because I know USC, which has a proud history, and some of the other schools in the Big Ten, you know, if, the, if they see you throwing around 50 times and not running it as much, they, uh, they don't want that. So what was, the, what was the buy-in factor of the OU inner circle with, with Lincoln? A winning. Hmm. Uh, end of story. It just, they just don't uh, – it's all about winning. Uh, it, it is everywhere. I don't think – you know, if that was the case – I mean, we would we would have had we would have heard it earlier than this regarding uh, the, the the four wides, five wides, you know, not taking never having the quarterback under center, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I think the key thing, like any school, is winning and how how you got to adapt and adjust. And I think that's kind of what Oklahoma's done here. If they, you know, if that wasn't the case, then they just to be run the wishbone. They did well in the wishbone. They won more national titles in the wishbone than we have in this in the Mike Leach influenced offense. So, you know, but that's not applicable right now uh, in most circles. So, but Switzer will tell you right now, Bruce, that the wishbone will work today. <laughs> hmm. He's defiant. <laughs> yeah, he's probably right. If you got the right people to run it, I, 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 don't, I don't doubt it. Um, you, you know, so much of wrestling feels like it is the cult of personality. And I think there's a connection here with leadership and, and what people buy into. And I, so we, we have a feature coming out on Baker Mayfield uh, this weekend. People will see it on Fox. Had a great sit down with him. He is, I know there's some fans out there, especially Ohio State fans, who probably do not like Baker Mayfield and probably other team, Big 12 teams. But just in terms of a, a kid who when you sit him down and, and you put a microphone on with him, and you can ask him kind of almost anything, and he will not, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. I think he gets it. You can tell he's very intelligent. Uh, it's not to say he's not emotional and doesn't do some stuff that steps on people's toes because he certainly does that. Uh, but before I was doing the interview, I had talked to to uh, my colleague, Matt Leiner, who's obviously a great quarterback at USC, and talked to him about a few things about just leadership and winning people over. And especially for Baker to transfer in as a walk-on, he was competing with a guy who is a, just a fantastic leader in, uh, in Trevor Knight and, and had that team. But just to get the other guys to buy in you know that that's not that's easier said than done. So I wanted to ask you, from your observations of Baker, you're around other guys you, for decades who have these big presences and auras and great on the mic. Um, 
What did you? What have you seen from Baker that really impresses you? Not just on the field, but how he, how he handles the team and how he gets people to believe. In the early nineties, I had the opportunity to broadcast Atlanta Falcon football uh, on the radio network there on WSB Radio, Falcon Radio Network, et cetera, et cetera. And they had a second round quarterback, second round draft pick named Brett Favre that was, ended up being a pretty good quarterback. But the your point is, or my point is, is that. That's who Baker Mayfield reminds me of in his interaction interactions with his teammates. Whether it be a D lineman or a D back or one of his own guys on the offensive side of the ball. He has he's really a great communicator. He's very gregarious in an engaging way. And of course you hey look, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm pissed too. I'm pissed at my team for losing at home, uh, and I'm, I'm the, the, the flag thing, which is kind of funny to think about it. It's hard to get a flag driven in turf, but <laughs> you know, that's not the story. Uh, but he's a real cool kid. He's going to be successful in whatever he does, and that's not cliche. It's just what it is. You talk to him, so you know. But I think he's got a career in the NFL without a doubt. If nothing else, he, he, you're going to love him in your locker room. You're going to love him in your camp. You're going to love him on the practice field. He makes plays, and he he enables others to gravitate to him. When my wife got killed in March, man, he was front and center on uh, on checking on me and stuff. And look, we're not best buddies. I don't hang around with Becker Mayfield, and vice versa, because there's going to be some NCAA rule that would violate a, two human beings having a inter- interaction. Uh, from the mafia known as the NCAA. But uh, your point is, he's going to have to live down some of his uh, uh, issues, the state of Arkansas thing, uh, you know, but that's not him. I mean, God almighty, man, if I was arrested for everything I've done as a young man in that in that, in that that realm of drinking and carousing and stuff, God, I'd probably still be doing time. So it's just, and I'm not condoning it. Oh, well, JR, JR is a shock-sniffing OU guy. I just think he's a good kid, and I, I think that's going to be and that's going to be found out in time. I also think the same thing as Joe Mixon, by and large. Uh, and I think Joe's going to prove at the end of the day, at the end of his journey, that he's uh, a good human being, which I believe he is. Let me ask you this. You know, to me, what what Baker did, it's like in the media when you see, okay, this guy got a minor possession or a you know a drunken, uh, you know, like it, it, I, I pretty much to me in my head, I will draw the line of if it's if it's drunk driving, you know, people can die from that. You know, if, you, if it's yeah, a, a minor in possession, any of this stuff, you get caught with weed. Um, I was no angel, and I you know we still make mistakes as grown ups. Uh, with the Mixon one, though, to me, you know, it it is such a different realm yeah, with yeah, with violence against women. In your mind, um, you know, how do you reconcile that as somebody, you know, because I remember I was at the opener, they played UTEP, and Joe Mixon was there, and that is the first thought that goes through my head, you know, and I'm not, you know, whether you're a Texas fan or an Oklahoma State fan or an Oklahoma fan, you know, you always tend to think from the outside looking in, okay, these, you know, fans will look differently if it is, quote unquote, their guy. Not say all fans, but some will. 
um, for, for you and you've been all around the world and you've got, you know, obviously if you know somebody, I think it probably, you, you, it lends into being maybe more forgiving or more perspective, but how do you reconcile that? Well, I think you have to, I think you have to reconcile Bruce for your own sanity by and large. Uh, I have learned a long time ago and boy, this has been, this year especially has been a, uh, challenging year as I've alluded to earlier, you know, I, I, my wife was killed 30 seconds from where I'm sitting right now in my home, uh, coming home from the gym on her Vespa. So, uh, and then, you know, Bobby Heenan passed away not too long ago, and he's one of my great friends and a real mentor in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just been hard, you know, and I, Lance Russell is a, another great announcer from the Memphis area that some fans will know. Did some work at Turner. He's in hospice care right now. You know, I've just been a is I can't bring all that with me every day. At some point, I have I have for me for my sanity, I got to remove some of the negative from the from the trunk and move on, mm. unload it. And it's always I always know where it is. It always it never not exists. It's just I don't have it in my possession every day. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I am getting older. You know, Joe made a, made a horrible error. You should never. Err. There's no justification for it, but. The deal is, what is the what is the what does the manual say about how long he's got to be punished, uh, and he can't go earn a living playing football? Uh, is it also can he not go earn a living being an accountant? Can he not go earn a living being a uh, you know whatever? So I don't I, I don't understand that. I, uh, I I just think that he's you got to give people a chance. Now look, if he if he if he if he shits the bed the second time, I get it. I'm with you. But I believe that people that that seem to be sincere and have been had this have had this issue addressed and are prepared to be successful through their uh uh public service and their and their rehabilitation, I s I gotta give people a chance. So that's kind of that's but that's me. I and I'm not and I'm not telling that's a, the right thing. That's like somebody said, "How are you doing, Jr.? But your, your wife, sorry, your wife passed away. Well, how you? I said, "Well, there's no, there's no manual for grieving. You just kind of do it." And I think that's kind of the way with this deal with the with like a Joe Mixon situation. Let me ask you because so much of what your career has been built upon, you know, I would say is kind of an element of escapism, right? With with this like real life comic book characters, absolutely, you know, and. Um, with with that, I want to shift into into the book. The the book is Slobberknocker. As I said, it comes out this week. Um, I don't want to I don't want to ask you your you know your best story that's in there because people can can read about that. But you know you just in the time you mentioned it was you know whether it's Bobby Heenan who was just a very fascinating and you know interesting character and it could be comical and everything like that. Um, and from a, keeping it on the football side of it, obviously the biggest star who's been through the WWF who really broke out was Dwayne Johnson, who was a, you know the Rock, who was a former solid you know offense or defensive lineman at Miami. Uh, getting into him a little bit, at what point do you realize uh, how big he could be, or when do you realize that this is going to be a whole lot bigger than just I don't even know if it was the WWF or the WWE at the time of what you guys had with him. Dwayne's grandfather, uh, Peter Maivia, was a high chief in the Samoan, in the, in the Samoan uh, ancestry. 
and uh, was a great pro wrestler, known as one of the legit, real tough guys that the entertainers didn't want to deal with. It, you want to stay on his good side. And then his dad was Rocky Johnson, uh, and I was also a very talented, very Hall of Fame guy. So we knew he had the DNA, but he never really indicated to what I'm told. He wanted to play football. Football was the first deal. He was a USA Today All-American and went to Miami, as you mentioned. He played for Dennis Erickson, won a national championship. Uh, got moved to end when Warren Sapp got signed and moved to tackle. So Warren Sapp took rock spot on that line. Uh, but I can remember going to a lunch with him when I was trying to work out his contract and recruiting him in a little place in uh, near Davie, Florida, mm-hmm. Cuban place. And we had, I remember what we had. We had black beans, yellow rice, and chicken. He ordered first. I said, I'll have what he's having, thinking in some ridiculous way that I might someday look like him. And uh, that was not even funny. But nonetheless, I... Well, we're sitting there eating, and there's a continual flow of women coming by to see if we need more water, more iced tea, you know, more bread. And I'm not so sure that all of them didn't even work there. But he was sitting there in a tank top uh, and with a very exotic look, black Samoan. Uh, with a ten million dollar smile, and I'm thinking. And then I got guys come by. There's, hey, Jr., how you doing? I'm good, you know. And I, they, they're not. They're talking to me because they recognize me from television, but they're looking at him. So, so I'm thinking, just for human nature, that's just a little, uh, it's a gut deal. I said, damn, this kid is. He has got something for everybody. And uh, he told me early, early on, maybe that meeting, I'm going to be your top guy. I said, well, I hope you are. So the point is, from day one, he knew or he thought he was going to be the top guy. He became the top guy. <clears throat> but uh, but he didn't have any money to pay for lunch. <laughs> this man paid for lunch because he said, well, I got seven bucks in my pocket. And uh, I said, don't worry, Vince has got plenty of money, and we got lunch. And welcome to the family. That's when we agreed to our deal. And uh, so he... he uh, I looked at I was watching Ballers the other day on HBO, and it's produced by Seven Bucks Entertainment. That's Dwayne's company. So that Seven Bucks is kind of hang around, hung around him for a long time. It's got some significance to it. But he's a football was his first love. Football was his first love, without without a doubt. Mm. Do you think, uh, in terms of, do you watch guys and go, you know what? If this guy ever wanted to, who do you like? whether it's a player or a coach say, Oh, this guy could be really successful in our business, whether he's acting as a manager. I remember one of the funnier things I heard was Spencer Hall who does the everyday should be Saturday uh, site and runs SB nation. He had a line about, I think Notre Dame was get, was playing a game that was on college game day. And uh, Brian Kelly got off the bus and uh, I think he had on kind of a, uh, just a little bit of a, a sharp jacket. And he goes, man, he said, he would be the perfect uh, wrestling villain manager. You know, he kinda had, and I was like, you know what? I could see that a little bit. Sure, sure. Is there, is there guys out there you look at and go, oh, I, we, could, we could have fun with him or anybody? Well, the, here's the great thing about it is that uh, it's not just a big man's game anymore in pro wrestling. It's, it's not that you only look at the linemen. 
running backs. It all, it, it lets everybody get in the, get into the, basically everybody get into the, their towing water if they choose. And I think going forward, we're going to see more. We got those guys now in the WWE that are NFL guys. They changed their names, and you know, Baron Corbin was a played just played five years or seven years in the league, something like that. So there's guys that that are not NFL stars that their football days end. Now what do I do with my my outgoing personality and my athleticism? Maybe that's that. Maybe WWE might be a destination, and it should be considered because there's good money there if you're good at what you do. What is you told us this one last time? It involved Andre the Giant and. I don't know, like four cases of beer and a bucket of fried chicken that he used as a toilet uh, on a on a small commuter plane. Yeah. Give, me, give me your next best Andre the Giant drinking story. Oh, well, you know the uh, we stayed when when Andre came to town. Uh, he, Bill Watts, who was a football player for the Houston Oilers and Oklahoma University, Bud Wilkinson era, big wrestling promoter and wrestler. He flew his private plane. Andre was the only passenger along with me. I was the gopher because I got I did all the grunt work, the chicken guy, the wine guy, the beer guy, the get the room key guy, change channel guy. You know, it's like it's old, but nonetheless, uh, I'm, we stayed at this hotel. This lady says to me, says, uh, "I'll give you a hundred dollars if you will take my Polaroid." To the arena tonight because we had Andre in town, big big crowd. He's just come there once a year, and uh, and take a picture of uh, Andre the Giant because I got to know, <laughs> I got to know if he's really Andre the Giant. So I uh, respectfully decline. I'm making twenty five to forty bucks a day, all in. So how much would it, how much would it have cost for you to take that picture? If you did that today, that picture would go all, you know, like once it's out of your hands, yeah. you know, it would have taken on, quote unquote, a life of its own. Our lives have a way of doing that. You know, three years ago when I started writing this book, my wife was a huge part of it because she was like the perfect coach's wife. When I was in charge of the talent roster as EVP of talent relations for WWE, and she, she had the guys for our home, she cooked, she did laundry, she listened, she talked, she commiserated. So my wife has a big role in this book, and deservedly so. And uh, so then I guess she gets, she gets killed in March, and I'm trying to finish the book. But before that, in October of last year, my writing partner died. Oh, my God. John Williams. Wow. Out of the clear blue, man. I mean, we're right. We're, we're, we're rocking and rolling here. And uh, he he dies uh, unexpectedly of a heart attack. So I lose my writing partner. And I get Paul O'Brien. I get another writing partner, Paul O'Brien, who wrote a, some amazing novels that are fascinating for a sports fan to read called Blood Red Turns Dollar Green. And it's, it's set in the backdrop of a pro wrestling territory. <laughs> 
the local territory that ran the same towns every week, uh, a little wrestling territory slash Sopranos. There's some dirty business going on. It's really compelling stuff, but uh, Paul O'Brien is his name. and he. So we finish, we get to, then my wife leaves us, and so that's another setback. And, man, there are times where I'm thinking, you know, this damn thing just may not be meant to be. You know, I might just want to go to, well, this lay this aside, so let's just forget this project. But it just wasn't the way that I was raised, and I just think that it would be disrespectful to her. And uh, so, with that said, it's been doing great. The advanced sales have been wonderful. I think it's going to do good. Barnes & Noble's is going to have it. You know, uh, books a million. Amazon, you order everything on Amazon, can't you? Yes, sir. So, you know, it's all good. And I'm I'm happy that we finished it. And I and I think she'd be real happy with what, we, what we're going to deliver. Hey, last question I got for you is a wrestling one. Who was the one guy in the locker room that you guys had that if it was all real and, you know, there was no, you know, literally no holes barred, it would be the guy you'd say nobody would mess with? Who would that guy be? Well, it would be, one would be Brock Lesnar, and two would be, or 1A would be Kurt Angle. Just because they had they had the, the the traditional wrestling backgrounds and people knew, you know, obviously yep. Brock had gone had a lot of success at, in UFC. But the thought was this, uh, and, and all that all that that equation over the years, even back when I got the business in the seventies, the thought has always been that a a wrestler uh, can always beat a boxer, and they be at a mixed match, and the wrestler didn't wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Or he wore small gloves or something. The, the theory has always been, Bruce, that the wrestler's going to take down, destroy the vertical base of the boxer. The boxer's going to be less effective punching uh, on his back. Hello. And uh, and then the wrestler will take it from there. But it has always been the scenario. Whether it's accurate or not, that's a long-standing scenario. And But if you're a striker or, or a street fighter or a ball or bar brawler, and, and as soon as uh, Lesnar and Angle recognized uh, that there was a pending impact, your ass is being taken down. They're going to always get you down where they can control what they do to you. And, that's, and, they, and nobody could block their takedowns. They're too high level at that skill set. Mm-hmm. They both are very, you know, got that little uh, twinkle in their eye when it comes to being com- combative and competitive. What was the wildest you know, street fight or brawl you'd seen you know, backstage or away from the ring in all your time in, in wrestling? I don't There weren't many. It's not as, it's not as uh, uh, Wild West and on the other side of the coin, Bob Billy, and as some people think. Uh, I remember when uh, Butch Reed and John Nord, the Barbarian, got in a fight on Sunday afternoon in Oklahoma City, and uh, some guys broke it up. And then they, we had a double shot that day. That night was a 7 o'clock show in Tulsa. And uh, when Bill Watts found out that Butch Reed and John Nord got in a fight in Oklahoma City, he wanted to know who won. And they said, well, we stopped it. And he got, Watts got pissed off and fined the guys that stopped at $25. And then he had to, then had them summon those two guys. He brought them back to the back of the dressing room area. And, had, and told them to fight to finish their get their get it out of their system. So he made them fight again, and then they the fight ended in a uh, somewhat of an exhaust fest of, of slapping punches. But both guys were bloodied and battered, and it was silly. It was it was crazy. But that was kind of the most ridiculous uh, one I saw because they had they tr- they tr- they had a fight in the 
afternoon and drove 100 miles to continue the fight that they didn't know they were going to continue. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that was a little bit of the... That was a little Wild West management there. That was that's not that's not an issue you'd want to have to take to HR, which did not exist. By the way, <laughs> no, I wouldn't imagine it did. Uh, well, all right. Well, Jr., we appreciate your time. We're best of luck with the book Slobberknocker. We encourage you if you don't already follow Jim Ross, you can at Jr.'s BBQ. You got a lot of businesses going on. You got your your one man show. You're still doing that, right? Yep. Yeah, I've got one coming up in Boston in uh, December. I enjoy doing those, getting out amongst the folks, play a lot of comedy clubs and tell stories and, and uh, engage in the un, un, uh, unsanctioned Q&As, for lack of a better term. A lot of fun doing that. The book, podcast, comes out every week on Podcast One, the roster report. So I'm, I'm staying busy. And, and, of course, it's football season, man. The Sooners, we've got a chance to have a nice year here. We stay healthy. Yeah, it could be a lot more than just nice. I mean, you know. The defense is still the big mark here in Norman. That's everybody, that's, it's not even the whispers. It's not the old oh, covert deal. It's just public sentiment. Everybody is hopeful that the defense is going to continue to improve. However, there's plenty of room for improvement. And and for us to get to the destination everybody is desirous of, they got to get better. They can't be at this level and get to that destination. I don't think it's going to, that one would not work out. So we'll see how that all progresses. Yeah, this is the time. Look, seven senior starters on defense, you know, pretty mature secondary, although they got they had their issues with Baylor. We'll see if they bounce back. I mean, I think it's a very interesting team to watch because they're really good on the offensive line. Obviously, Baker's, you know, fantastic quarterback. It's just uh, we know they're going to get tested and you're going to see some really good offenses coming at them in the Big 12. So I love the fact that uh, – their offense is so diverse, where meaning that so many players get the opportunity to make plays, to catch the ball, to carry the ball, to touch the ball. And uh, I really believe that's, uh, at the end of the day, going to help them as far as the young guys' progression because every, the world's not on their shoulders. You know, you get your, you get your six or eight carries. Go, go race hell, man. Go have six or eight kill them. But you don't have to, have to worry about doing 30 carries or 25 carries total. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I like the way that they're doing that. And they, they got some good talent. I love Andrews, a tight end. He's a big-time player at the next level, I believe. And uh, they got some good young receivers, which we were kind of wondering about. But, you know, they, but they got a great leader there, man. And the, the, look, everybody can stop the BS. This is Baker Mayfield's team, and we're going to go as far as he can take us. Yeah, and it's going to be a fun ride. Well, well, JR, best of luck with the book, and we will talk to you soon. Okay, Bruce. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure. All right, Stu. So let's wrap up, and let's go to our shout-outs of the week. Why don't you go first? My shout-out is to longtime former Purdue coach Joe Tiller, who passed away on Saturday at the age of 74. That one really hit me hard because here's a guy who I covered a lot. His rise, you know, once he got to Purdue in 1997, pretty much coincided with when I graduated from college, started covering the sport. It's hard for people who weren't college football fans yet wouldn't realize it now, but, you know, think, oh, Purdue, how how good could Purdue have been? Um, Not only did they go to a Rose Bowl with Drew Brees, but that basketball and grass offense of his just took that conference by storm. This was your traditional I formation run it up the gut conference. 
and suddenly you've got this guy coming into Purdue throwing the ball. At one point, you remember the game in 1998, he threw the ball 85 times in a game. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, Who's your shout-out? Uh, since you're taking that, I am going to say Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, had the best game of his career. Pitt blew out Rice, and it was Rice. It wasn't like they blew out Clemson. 42-10. to 10. He was 28 of 32, 410 yards, four TDs, no picks. Uh, here's why. You know, I spent a little time with Max Brown this offseason when I visited Pitt. Just when you're a guy who is so high profile and you have a job, like you, you have a, you're the guy, and then all of a sudden you're not the guy, and then everyone's, you know, talking about the guy who replaced you and Sam Darnold, who's so great. It, you know, I think it's hard for – it would be hard for anybody to deal with it, much less, you know, you're a 21- or 22-year-old kid in the midst of that. And so – I'm happy for him that he's, you know, got is having some success at at Pitt, and at least for uh, last week, I think that was a uh, it was a pretty sweet afternoon for him. You're always good at those under the radar finds. Well, you took the uh, the obvious one. I mean, again, I want to echo what you're saying, Joe Tiller. I mean, just knowing Kevin Sumlin and Jim Cheney, who are both disciples of of Joe Tillers. I've heard plenty of stories about not just what a coach he was, but what a mentor he was to those guys. And so, um, you know, he's, he was a big football figure in terms of what he meant, not just in the big 10, but to a lot of people who are in that kind of Mike price tree. I mean, we talk about those spread things as being, you know, the Mike Leach, how mommy air raid, but Joe Tiller had a big role in it too, especially with getting this quarterback from Texas, Drew Brees and the success Drew Brees has had in the NFL. I mean, Joe Tiller had a big hand in all that. Thank you for tuning into the Audible, and we will see you next time. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All-American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel. And subscribe to The All-American if you haven't done so already at theathletic.com slash all-american. Over here, I am.